Well, today I'm going to read more scripture than I'm going to preach. So uh, we're going to read, look at a passage of scripture in three different gospels that tell the same story. But each gospel writer gives a little bit of additional information about it. And last week we looked at the story in the gospel of Mark of Jesus feeding the 5,000 people with just a little boy's lunch. And uh, we said that story is the only story in all the Gospels that is repeated in all four Gospels. Each of the Gospel writers tell different stories, but that story was so important. But here's an amazing thing about that story. Even though Jesus fed 5,000 men and their families with just a boy's lunch. The people were so amazed, and they actually wanted to make him a king. They thought, man, this is the kind of king we need. He can feed us. We'll never go hungry again. But Jesus basically said, you know, that's not why I came. I didn't come to be a king to feed people physical food i came to be the king of kings to meet the greatest needs the most spiritual needs and so many of the people when jesus disappointed them by refusing to be a king the bible says that many of them went away they stopped following it was like well if he's not going to do it our way then we don't want to follow him by the way there are a lot of people today who uh, if God doesn't measure up to their way, if he doesn't do things the way they want him to do it, then they get mad at him. And uh, it always amazes me when people say, well, I'm mad at God. But I hear that often. I hear people say, especially at funerals and things like that, you know, well, I'm mad at God. And I think that would be... uh, uh, I can't. I just can't imagine it. You know, I really can't imagine it because uh, that's like being mad at your very best friend, <laughs> the one who runs to you, not from you, and the one who is with you. The Bible says, "Lo, I am with you always." And somehow or another, we have the idea, or many people seem to have the idea, that if God loves me, He's going to make everything just hunky dory for me that I'm not going to have any problems, and that he's going to fix everything. But when you read the Bible, you find that's not the way God worked in anybody's life. And when you read the stories of the New Testament apostles, they all were persecuted. They all suffered severe loss. They all suffered severe physical persecution as well. And none of them said, well, God, I'm mad at you. They said, you know, we believe that God is working all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. And that purpose is to be conformed to the full image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what God is up to, In your life right now, what God wants, if you're a Christian, if God has saved you, he has this purpose for your life. 
to move everything out of you that doesn't look like Jesus and to put everything into you that does look like Jesus. And he will use whatever process is necessary to make that happen. And as a general rule, the process is not always pleasant. As a general rule, the process is not through uh, uh, enjoyable blessings, but it is through challenges and difficulties and struggles. And so when the people said to Jesus, you're not doing it our way. We want you to do for us what we want. And when Jesus said no, they began to leave him. And they just left by the droves. And then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, "Uh, Are you going to leave too? And Simon Peter, who usually didn't say things right, said the right thing this time. He said, Lord, where could we go? You have the words of life. And so we're, we're with you. And so, but even up to this time, the disciples did not seem to know that Jesus was the Son of God. They thought he was a wonderful teacher. They knew that he was a miracle worker. They, I mean, when, when they gathered up 12 baskets of food left over from a little boy's basket, they must have known he's more than just a man. But the event that happened next is the event where they recognized that he was the Son of God, that he was truly God in a human body. And that's the passage I want to read to you today. And I'm going to read to you out of Matthew's gospel first. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. And uh, you just kind of follow along. Like I said, I'm going to read more scripture today than I normally do. And uh, I'm going to read this account out of three different gospels. Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, and John's gospel. Luke, for some reason, didn't tell us this story. It's interesting, isn't it, that uh, uh, the gospel writers were kind of selective in what they told. But three of them told this story. And this is uh, uh, Matthew chapter 14 Verses 22 through 33. Immediately, and this immediately means as soon as Jesus had finished this miracle of feeding the multitudes, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. And by the way, the word there for made is the word that means to coerce. It means to force. It means do it. And uh, it wasn't what they wanted to do necessarily. As a matter of fact, they probably wanted to look around for some more food maybe. Maybe there was a little bit more left over. Or maybe they enjoyed being in the limelight. Everybody's there saying, "Woo, Jesus, Jesus, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can. And they're all cheering for Jesus. And the disciples are enjoying that. Hey, we're his, we're his guys, you know. And Jesus said, you guys, get in the boat. But get in the boat right now, and I want you to go across to the other side. So Jesus made his disciples 
get into the boat and, uh, and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So Jesus is dispersing the crowd, told his disciples to get in the boat, go to the other side. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. So Jesus got away from the crowd. He was away from his disciples. He goes up into a, 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 a it's not as much a mountain as it is a real high hill. And uh, in fact, we, when we were in Israel, we actually went to that very place, to the place where they believe that Jesus went to pray. And from up there, you can look out across the Sea of Galilee, and it's easy to see how you could see on the sea. <laughs> uh, and uh, that was kind of cute. But, uh, uh, but so to stand there where Jesus fed the multitudes and then up on the mountain where he went. And so he went up there and he was there praying. Just, I've, I've wondered this week, I wonder exactly what he prayed. What was he praying for? Well, of course, I don't know for certain. But no doubt he was uh, uh, relating to the Father. And saying that in my humanity, I'm trusting you for everything that I do. The, the crowd had just tried to make him their king. They, and, and, you know, at the beginning of his ministry, he faced the temptation there in the wilderness. And one of Satan's temptations was to, to become a king without going to the cross. I want you to just, I want you to bypass the cross and I will make you king of the whole earth. I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus resisted that temptation. And it may be that here when all the people were saying, we're, we're ready to follow you if you'll be our king, maybe the same temptation was coming back. So maybe when he went up to the mountain to pray, this was another thing he was praying. Keep me focused. My, I did not come to be an earthly king. I came to be a sacrifice for sin and a heavenly king. So he went to pray. And also he might have been praying for his disciples. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves for the wind was against it. And so uh, uh, Jesus was able to see the disciples. By the way, we're told a little bit later that it was uh, the third watch of the night, which means it was between 3 o'clock a.m. and 6 o'clock a.m. So it's in the darkest part of the night, and uh, that's the fourth watch of the night is what it's called. That's the fourth watch is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, here it is, walking on the water. Aaliyah, can you imagine, Aaliyah, Aaliyah, can you imagine walking on water? I tried it a few times. I can't do it. I barely can water ski. I probably can't water ski now. But I even when I water ski, as soon as I turn loose of the rope, I begin to sink. And I can't imagine walking on water. 
And, uh, and yet here are the disciples out in the boat. They've been rowing. By the way, they left up after 6 p.m. They have actually been in this boat for almost nine hours. And they are trying to get to the other side and the wind is against them. And they would row and row. And then if they stopped to rest for a minute, the wind just blew them right back. And they think, keep rowing. And, and they are rowing and rowing. And nine hours, or almost nine hours, maybe eight, seven or eight hours, they've been out in this boat. And the, a wind has come up. And the waves are tossing and pushing them back. And so Jesus sees them from this high place where he's gone up to pray. He's looking out and saying, now I know somebody asked me one time, well, how could he see them if it's 3 o'clock in the morning? Well, if there was a full moon, he could see them. But, you know, actually, one of the points is that Jesus sees in the dark. It doesn't have to be light for him to see. As in fact, some of the times that I've been the most keenly aware of his watching me have been some of the darkest times in my life. And I just want you to know, and I'm actually getting to the point of my message here early, but I'll tell you twice so you'll remember it, is that Jesus sees in the dark. And he sees us when we're struggling, when we're... When we're frightened and he can see us, and by the way, he's also praying for us. Isn't it good to know that when Jesus ascended to heaven, that's a high mountain, isn't it? And he sat down there. The Bible says that he ever lives to do what? To make intercession for us. There have been a couple of times that I've had some needs that I had back surgery once back several years ago and and uh, my brother had had back surgery and it didn't go well. My father had had back surgery and it didn't go well. My mother had had back surgery and it didn't go well. So I was a little bit apprehensive when I had back surgery. And I thought, you know, I don't want to have to live with constant pain like they do. I don't want to have to live with limited capabilities like they do. And so people would call me or come to the house or even to the hospital. And I was listening for one sentence. And it was this sentence. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And that meant so much to me when people would come and say, hey, Preacher, you know, we had a deacons meeting at church and we voted four to three to pray for you. Uh, <laughs> I thought, well, good. You know, at least that's the majority. No, that didn't happen. Uh, but, uh, but when people would come and say, I'm praying for you, that's what, that's what I was listening for. That's why I didn't want to hear them talk about other things. I didn't want a medical report. I want an assurance of prayer. But I tell you, as much as that meant to me, it meant even more to know that I have a Savior seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, and he says, I'm praying for you.
I'm praying for you. So Jesus went up on the mountain, and he is praying for his disciples. He sees them in the dark, struggling, and then in the fourth watch of the night, he comes to them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. (laughs) That's probably an understatement. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. The word here for fear is the word means to be terrified. They, 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 they saw Jesus walking on the water. And this does make me think that maybe there was a full moon. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer. I am. It is I. It's the Greek there. It's ego I me. I am, I am. It's the same word that if you were put it in Greek, that when God, when Moses said to God, what is your name? God answers, I am, I am. And that's a favorite title for Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John. So Jesus said, be of good cheer, I am. It is I, do not be afraid be afraid and Peter answered him and said Lord if it's you command me to come to you on the water he said Lord if it's really you you're walking on the water I'd kind of like to do that too so so if it's really you tell me to get out of the boat because I'm not going to do it unless you tell me to. And let me come to you walking on the water too. So Jesus said, come. Come on. And when Peter had come out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. That must have been the most fascinating event that had ever happened in Peter's life. He gets out of the boat. Can you imagine stepping out of the boat? You're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Waves are sloshing about, and you put your foot down, fully expecting to just sink right down, but your foot stops right on top of the water. And you lift the other foot out of the boat and put it down, and you think, my goodness, I'm standing on water. And you begin to... To walk. You just, you know, taking it step by step. And Peter's probably thinking, any of you guys got your cell phone? Could you, could you get a picture of this? And he's walking on the water. But when, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And he began to sink. And he cried out. Lord, save me. So he's walking on the water, and we don't know how far he walked. It might have been just five steps. It might have been 25 steps. But he's walking on the water, and then all of a sudden, he feels the wind, and maybe he sees the water splashing, and he gets his eyes off of Jesus, and he starts looking at the circumstances 
and he begins to sink, which was what he expected to do, I guess, to begin with. And as he begins to sink, he's out in the middle of the water, 3 o'clock in the morning, and he begins to sink, and he prays an urgent prayer. This is probably the shortest prayer in the Bible. But he didn't have time really to, to, to make up a flowery church prayer, you know, like we do sometimes, you know. And, and he didn't even, he just said, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And Peter's probably thinking, well, at least I took five steps or whatever, you know. But he, he said, look what was going on while you were trusting me. And then verse 32, and when they got, in, when they got into the boat, so Jesus and Peter, as far as I know, must have walked back to the boat on the water unless Jesus carried him. But they walked back to the boat on the water, and when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, and they said, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the first time, by the way, in the ministry of Jesus that his disciples acknowledged that he was the Son of God. This was a turning point event in their life. Let's look at the same account in Mark's gospel. Now, only Matthew tells us about Peter walking on the water. Mark leaves that part out. Some people think it's kind of strange because Mark got his information from Peter. And it may be that Peter just said, no, don't, don't put that in. And it might have been... Because of humility, I, I, don't, I don't want you to tell about me walking on the water. Or it might have been because he sunk. You know, I don't know what it was. But anyway, he didn't, he didn't put that in. But here it is in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening was come, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land. And then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. In other words, he was drawing near to them. Actually, it's... Uh, Poor translation there. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and they marveled. And then verse 52, For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart 
was hardened. In other words, they had not understood that Jesus was saying to them, I'm the Son of God, by the loaves. But now they understood. They were beginning to understand. And then we read it in John's Gospel, John chapter 6, verses 14 through 21. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, that is, feeding the multitude, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. See, the people didn't recognize him as the Son of God. They thought he was the promised prophet who was to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Well, that's the three accounts, and I've pretty much already brought my message. But let me just mention these few things. Number one, Jesus sent, his disciples intentionally into what he knew was going to be a struggle. And that says to me that there are times that God sends us into situations that he knows will be a struggle for us. Again, we think, wrongly think, that if we're following the Lord's leadership, everything's going to be smooth sailing. They were following the Lord's leadership, and it was rough sailing. And I'm just saying to you, there are times that God engineers for us major struggles in our life for the building of our faith. And then the second thing I see is that he, he prays for them. He sent them into a struggle, but he says, I'm going to be praying for you. He said that to Peter at another time. He said, Peter, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. So whatever you face, and I, I tell you what, there are some people in this room right now that are facing some huge struggles. There are some people right here, right here I'm talking to, and there's and the one talking to you is facing some huge struggles. And I just want you to know that we can look at our struggles and we can doubt and be afraid, or we can say, Jesus, thank you for putting this story in the Bible for me. Because I know 
that you are not out of control, even though I may feel like things are out of control, you're not out of control. You're in control. And this is, this may be a surprise to me, but it's not a surprise to you. And you have actually sent me into this struggle. But I know you're praying for me. And then he not only prays for them, he sees them, he watches them. And he never takes his eye off of you. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro over the whole earth looking for those whose hearts are right toward him. Do you know that Jesus is watching you right now? You know, isn't that a wonderful, uh, wonderful, uh, blessed thought? Jesus is watching me. Now, not only is he watching you when you struggle, he's also watching you when you sin. That's not quite as pleasant a thought, is it? So you don't ever get away with anything. What you do in the dark, the Bible says the dark is, is light to him. So it's good to know that he watches us in the dark when we struggle, but it's also good for us to understand that he watches us in the dark when we sin. So his eyes always on us, not just when we want it to be, but all the time. So he prays for them, he sees them, and then he comes to them. He actually comes to them walking on the very thing that was threatening them. Somebody said it this way, and I couldn't have couldn't improve on this at all. He said, <clears throat> the reason the disciples were afraid wasn't because of the wind. It was because of the water. Nobody drowns in the wind, but you drown in the water. And what they were afraid of, that they were going to sink and go under the water. But here, the thing that threatened to be over their head, Jesus said, it's under my feet. I'm walking on that which you're afraid of. And I'm telling you, whatever you're facing, whatever I'm facing, if it threatens to be over our head, Jesus said, it's under my feet. And if we're in him, that means it's under our feet too. Okay? So he comes to them, he tests their faith, and then he calms the storm, and then he demonstrates his love and his power. Because as soon as he got to the other side, the Bible says that he immediately began to heal people again, demonstrate his power. He showed his love for his disciples by coming to them. Then he demonstrated his power by calming the storm and by healing the people. So just a word of encouragement to you today. Uh, now this first sentence is not going to be a word of encouragement, but it is a word of reality. You're going to face some big problems. Sooner or later in your life, you're going to face some struggles. If you're not facing one now, Dr. Adrian Rogers says that we all live in regard to storms. We're either just coming out of a storm or we're in a storm 
or we're in between storms. So that's, that's life, isn't it? That's life, just made up of storms. But here is the encouraging thing. There is no storm that you'll ever face that Jesus doesn't see you, that he doesn't pray for you, and that he doesn't come to you in the middle of the storm and say, willingly, take me into the boat. And once you do, he does one of two things. He either calms the storm or he calms your heart in the storm. And that's the message for today. And so whatever you're facing now or whatever you face in the future, will you know that he loves you, that he watches you, that he prays for you, that he cares for you, and that he comes to you and he says, willingly take me into the boat. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you even for the storms in our life. And I know that uh, it's real easy for us to thank you for the calm days and for the days of comfort and ease. But you've told us to give thanks in everything. And so to know that you are working all things, not just the sweet and the pleasant things, but also the challenging, the difficult, and the painful things, that you are working all things together for our good. And even when we don't know how it could be good, we trust you. And just like Peter, who walked on the water with Jesus until he began to doubt, I pray that you will help our faith to stay focused on you, to not look at the circumstances, not look at the waves, but keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.